Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your content better. Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. And by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Content Pros Podcast. Today, we are joined by Adam New Watterson. Thanks, Chris. Randy here. Adam, thanks so much for joining. We've uh, fortunately met at some events, uh, but it's always good to, to take it to the podcast. And uh, maybe you can start us all off by telling us a little bit about what you do at Lean Data. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. Uh, certainly. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Very excited to uh, be joining you guys, etc. Um, I am the chief marketing officer of Lean Data. So I'm responsible for uh, our entire go-to-market strategy, how we uh, work with and interface with our prospects, and how we make sure that we are helping the company and the sales team uh, being able to hit their goals. Awesome. And I'm guessing that with a company name like Lean Data, you are probably focused on data-driven marketing. So could you talk a bit about what you're measuring, how you're measuring it, and some of your thoughts about data for marketers? Yeah, certainly. So uh, initially, Lean Data started off uh, helping customers uh, fix the data problems that they had within their system. And then uh, they moved on to realizing that uh, they could really help people uh, figure out how to uh, report on things better in order to have deeper insights into um, the things that they're trying to accomplish. So I spend uh, a lot of time being a data-driven marketer. It, it is a it is a big part of uh, what we do here at Lean Data, and specifically, what we look at is the kind of progression from an activated account. So the first kind of the the smallest discrete. Uh, notion that we have for marketing is an activated account. So that's whether or not uh, somebody is interacting with a particular piece of content, attending a webinar, etc. Well, we roll that up into a single entity of the company. So uh, I could have five people within the account all being active. Um, but the thing that I really care about is that single uh, that single account being activated. From there, we looked at uh, how many things are going on to convert into demos, and then uh, and then we look at the uh, actual amount of pipeline that has been sourced by marketing and the amount of bookings that are attributable to marketing. So so uh, we really start from how much money is uh, marketing helping uh, produce for the company, and uh, and work our way down from there. So I, I've got a, a question on that. Um, you know, a lot of we've done that in in my business here at Uberflip for for a long time, and we started as an SMB uh, product where it was a lot of paid online, and eventually we moved to be more kind of a mid market enterprise. But you know, it's always very easy to track those paid channels. I'm just wondering 
how much you're either doing this yourself or you're seeing others start to build their content spend into evaluating that ROI. Uh, is it is it still that mentality of all the other demand gen dollars and contents in this other bucket, or are you actually starting to see people mesh the two? Yeah, I mean, I think ROI is still kind of one of the final frontiers for people to uh, to really get right. Um, when we talk about it internally, uh, we both question what is the R and what is the I, um, and which can make uh, sometimes the calculation a little bit a little bit fuzzy. Um, if you don't have all of those kind of costs integrated into a system uh, in which you can really kind of uh, turn that around and be able to be able to look at <clears throat> how much money did I actually spend uh, to generate the piece of content, uh, whether that's, you know, from, from the entire process of having it, uh, having it written or uh, sort of visually designed in any sort of way. And then through all of the distribution that is either paid or uh, organically driven, uh, making sure that you have all of that rolled up into uh, an intelligent way in order to be able to do those ROI calculations. So uh, to specifically answer your question, sorry that I kind of didn't. Uh, it depends on the marketing department is what I'm actually seeing. So some some departments are uh, really doing that in a pretty sophisticated way. And others are um, are happy to just know the kind of the impact of their um, marketing content. And Adam, when we talk about return on investment, we always like to ask before the show something that everyone's a little proud of or one of their favorite projects. And I know that you had one that had a tremendous ROI and it involved synonyms and a dress. So could you talk a bit about what you did there and how that project worked? Sure. So uh, I was formerly at a uh, company called uh, Bloomreach and Bloomreach was all about helping really, really, really big websites make their websites bigger. So, so think about the top household names for uh, online shopping. These were our customers. And one of the biggest things that we helped our customers with uh, was a, a, a synonym dictionary, which is perhaps like one of the unsexiest things that you could potentially produce content about. So uh, we had this kind of big task of making this sometimes, um, yeah, dry or I guess a, a bit boring of an idea and, and parlaying it into something that was interesting for marketers to kind of latch onto. So what we did was we went to one of our customers, uh, Neiman Marcus, and we just kind of browsed through their website and we, until we found a pretty provocative dress. Um, so I, I never knew how to pronounce Hervé Leger. Uh, prior to uh, finding this particular dress, but uh, it, it was uh, quite the thing to to see. So from there, what we did was we just open-endedly asked people to describe this particular dress. And we had kind of seven different ways that we wanted them to describe. What is the color? Uh, and you would be completely shocked at the number of different ways people had the ability to say red. Um, so I, I, I must've had 50 different descriptions that all rolled up into, uh, the word red, whether that's crimson or et cetera. So what was really cool was not just the fact that we did this thing, but it was, how did we take that and go even further, uh, with the idea? So, 
the very first thing that we did was kind of roll all of the survey results up into an infographic, something that uh, just was very easy to uh, be able to visualize what were the individual responses that people gave, what were the trends within it, et cetera. And then from there, we gave all of the bad descriptions. We sort of said, okay, there are like seven or eight uh, really bad descriptions for these dresses that just make no sense at all. So what would happen if somebody actually went to an internet search browser and kind of typed in those kind of results? So so we found an artist uh, and we, we provided her with these bad uh, dress descriptions. And uh, we shot video of her drawing the individual dresses that were kind of incorrect. And from there, we, uh, we were able to uh, use that video both kind of on our website and our materials, et cetera. But we actually physically put it onto a monitor that was in our trade show booth. So people would be walking by on the trade show floor at these really big retail shows like NRF or et cetera. And, and they, would, they would look up and they would see these kind of chintzy, uh, maybe not the most uh, couture fashion uh, drawings of these kind of not very cute dresses, et cetera. And, and what it did was kind of unlock this moment of people wandering by and, and having a reason to engage with the booth staff, whether that uh, be the salespeople or uh, et cetera, that are, that are working that particular event. And, um, and they, they just had this moment that would allow people to kind of come in to the booth. So we also bought the physical dress, which uh, this thing was not cheap um, and, and bought, bought the dress and hung it up in our trade show booth so that everybody walking by would uh, have an additional sort of hook uh, to come in and, and really look at uh, the dress, have a conversation with us about why synonym dictionaries are really complicated and interesting thing to even think about in the first place, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, overall, a wonderful a uh, wonderful project. We we're able to roll uh, those same results up into slides for the sales team to talk about. It became like a really easy metaphor for people to understand for why it was that Bloomreach was doing the things that they were doing. That's 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 a fun campaign. You know, it's yeah. I, I know there's bigger takeaways from there, but all I could think is I always struggle when my wife is describing a dress to a friend, and I have no idea what this thing looks like, but you can tell the two of them connecting and visualizing it perfectly. Whereas I think men in general really struggle to get a visualization of that. But um, you know, really, uh, you know, I, I know that there's a bigger point there. And maybe one of them that I take away from in there is, is you know, the, the power of visual content and the power that pulls you in. And, you know, it, it's something that, that I don't think we talk about enough on, on content pros is, is really digging into how we're trying to catch that, capture someone's attention. I mean, there's so much content out there. And I'm wondering how you've been able to maybe bring that into, you know, the business that you're doing now is that visual content approach. Yeah, certainly. So at the time, uh, the way that we produced that original kind of survey uh, was using an, a visual content, uh, interactive content provider. Uh, so we were able to kind of build the survey in a really interactive 
um, and fun way. It wasn't uh, just a click here kind of uh, thing. Um, and so in my current role, uh, I will admit that that is the thing that I would like to uh, spend more time doing. It is uh, something that I feel a tiny bit resource constrained on. Uh, and I just think it is so impactful to have really visually interesting content that um, that helps kind of tell a story with your eyes and not just with the words. I'm sitting here trying to think of ways we can make a podcast more visually compelling, and I'm, I'm not finding uh, too many ways, <laughs> but I know that we do create images with the posts that go live and all of that stuff. But I, it was actually reminding me of the project you're working on, Randy, at Uberflip, which you know, you guys are doing a lot of great things, but you have a new podcast called Flip the Switch, which you might want to speak a bit about. But I know that it's a weekly podcast with some of the brightest marketing minds. It gives useful insights, actionable takeaways, and a fresh approach to the content marketing challenges that you face every single day. And that's at uberflip.com slash podcast. You can discover tips and tactics that will help you flip the switch from ordinary to remarkable. And that was really the part that stood out to me, Randy, the ordinary to remarkable, because with what Adam was talking about, it, it feels like the big, huge websites of the world, you think that they have huge SEO campaigns, but if you don't understand every single synonym to all the important words, you're probably missing out on some traffic. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you know, I think, you know, what all of us are really talking about here is, is, is small companies. How do we, how do we use creativity again? How do we flip that switch to this creative idea that's outside? And you know, I, I think that's, What's really interesting to me, Adam, in terms of what, what you just described with that campaign on the dresses is it really all started from data again, right? I mean, you know, we started there and then we, we got to this campaign. But, you know, it's interesting when you think about how do you use data to fuel these creative ideas. And I know, you know, Chris, you've also been able to do this in terms of that campaign you did with some of the insights for, for 2016 and looking back on 2015. So, you know, maybe you can speak more about how some of your marketers, Adam, are, are using some of the data points that you're delivering to fuel their content strategies. Certainly. So the, the first thing that we do is, uh, we look at how historically a particular piece of content has done uh, for us. And uh, let me say, we are really, really invested in mostly producing uh, written content. So uh, one of the very first things that I did, and sorry to deviate just a teeny bit from the original question, but I'll get back to it in a second. Uh, one of the very first things that I did when I was uh, hired to be the CMO here at Lean Data was I hired a journalist with 35 years of experience working at newspapers. And I gave him a uh, full reign to come in and just write things that were interesting well-written and were not intended to be salesy at all. So that, that's one thing that I harp on a lot here at Lean Data is that I don't want to be sold to. I want to be educated. And out of that process, I will naturally um, want to learn more about products and services. But first, help me learn something more. So with that kind of basic intention, we have produced just a volume of content in the, the last sort of nine months that he's been on my team. And we needed to be able to see what were the things that had the biggest impact. Um, and so we, we start off by kind of looking at 
what of the things that we booked of the actual revenue that we had coming into the company, what were those sort of top items? And I must say for this particular quarter, you know, we're, we're not quite uh, completed with the quarter right now, but our content strategy has been driving the biggest portion of marketing's impact to our revenue. So we look at the individual pieces of content and which ones were more successful at either getting uh new deals in the door, uh, helping us source new pipeline or helping us close existing revenue that, um, that perhaps the sales team was working on, et cetera. So one of the most successful things that we are doing right now is just, uh, people call it influencer marketing. We're just highlighting the successes of our most successful customers. So we're not talking about our product. We're not talking about how they use our products. All we're doing is talking about their life story. Where do they come from? Why have they arrived at, uh, at this particular moment in their life? What were the things that they did in order to get there? And what are some funny anecdotes along the way? And uh, the content itself is just so widely consumed by people who are learning more about lean data that uh, I feel like it's a, a great strategy to embrace. I think that's really interesting, Adam. And we're going through a bit of that here at Oracle Marketing Cloud, too. We've started to segment our content based on funnel stage to actually understand, you know, for the various personas we have to deliver content to, what's top of the funnel, what's middle funnel, what's bottom of the funnel. So just three buckets. And customer stories, we're seeing that they really work anywhere. You know, you can show the data point at the top of the funnel and start to educate people or You can bring that up when they're in consideration to try to show the better success with your products. And I I guess I'm wondering, where do you strike the balance between what you described initially with someone with 35 years of journalism experience, where there may be a lot of top of the funnel education, awareness type content versus the pure, this contributed the most to the pipeline or this brought in the most revenue? How do you kind of balance the two across your team? Well, I mean, he is responsible for uh, writing content that fulfills both aspects of of that process. So he he's thinking about what are the uh, what are the introductory ideas that somebody needs to understand in order to be more interested in what lean data is offering to our customers. And then on the other side of that, he's thinking about what are the individual things that um, our sales team needs to be successful uh, in their actual sales process. And so he, he's responsible for creating content that speaks to kind of all aspects of it. But ultimately, because we are so data-driven, it all rolls up into the same system such that we can evaluate how those pieces of content are being utilized in, in different manners for, for different people in the same way that you're talking about from Oracle during different stages of our uh, buyer's journey. So it, it brings up another another point, which I know is is very core to what you're doing at Lean Data, um, which is this whole buzzword of ABM, right? Account based marketing, and and we've had a lot of people come onto Content Pros and talk about ABM, but I think there's also some confusion with that term, and it's it's only started to occur to me in the last number of weeks, where all of a sudden you have, as you refer to it, people deeper in the funnel, as in your salespeople who say, oh, well, we want to do ABM. But then the question is, well, 
who's who's responsible for ABM? Is it the marketing team responsible or are the salespeople doing ABM? And maybe the salespeople are actually doing account-based selling as opposed to account-based marketing. So maybe you can just, you know, only because it's been a topical item in our office is we also sell to salespeople to, to help them with sales enablement. But maybe you can tell me how you guys interpret it and how you're approaching it both between your content team as well as the salespeople and in, in how they view that. Certainly. Uh, well, uh, we talk about account-based sales and marketing. So for me, uh, account-based marketing or account-based sales or the union of uh, the revenue team. That's the way I like to think about all of the people that are responsible for making sure that the company is hitting our revenue and bookings targets. So um, so I definitely believe that they are two separate um, entities that are interwoven like uh, like two hands clasping each other uh, in, or whatever. Uh, they, they, they cannot happen kind of without the, the other. It's the yin and the yang. Um, and so, <clears throat> so our sales team is really focused on um, how did they uh, sell into the particular accounts that we're trying to approach. And from the marketing side, we're thinking about um, you know we're still doing when when we think about account based marketing, uh, it, it is a subset of our overall marketing strategy. So uh, some of our content is really geared towards just getting people into the system so that they raise uh, they raise their hand and uh, we can uh, learn more about them as individuals and their kind of position within the company. And then from there, we're really thinking about for account based marketing. How do we encourage the internal people at the company we're trying to sell to to think about our products and services as the solution for their particular pains? So we're really using content at the heart of uh, driving the conversation for people within the team to choose lean data. Because in, in this day and age, uh, depending on who you talk to, a company like CEB uh, says, um, says there are 5.4 people in a, a B2B sale. I've heard Oracle say there are 12. I've had, heard other people say there are 35 people involved in a B2B deal. And so you need to get all of these people on the same page and thinking and pointed in the same direction in order to uh, be able to choose your um, be able to choose your product or service at the end of it. And, um, and that is, that is a pretty complicated thing because each person wants to be spoken to in a different way. Uh, different content works for different types of people with different roles, et cetera. Um, so we're, we're re really using account-based marketing to think about how do we drive the conversation, not just how do we target accounts. I, I, the part that I think a lot about for account-based marketing, you know, I run a content team as well, and we've had a lot of internal debate about where the, I guess not where the responsibilities are, but what does this actually look like? How much of the content is off the shelf and how much is truly personalized to that account? Because we can assume if we're going through account-based marketing and account-based selling, I think we can make the assumptions that 
we know the challenges of that customer and we're trying to solve their unique challenges. It may not be the five differentiation points for the product we're trying to sell that we talk about on the aggregate all across the website, that kind of thing. So for you, Adam, what level of personalization is happening there? Are you trying to create new content based on those challenges? Are you repurposing content? Are you are you trying to say, we have this and this works best? Because that's the part that I keep thinking about. Like I'm wondering from a bandwidth perspective to truly deliver on account-based marketing, what does that look like? Sure. And so I would say uh, a bit in all of the above strategy from what you just put out as your uh, potentials there. So uh, what we're thinking about is not just um, how do we repurpose the kind of content we already have created, but of those accounts that are really, really important, what are the things that we can create for them that are unique to their experience? So um, this is definitely something that we do on a case by case basis. We don't um, we don't have somebody dedicated in house just to producing uh, content that is unique to a particular company. Um, but what we're what we're doing is looking at you know when the moment is right and when there is a particular uh, piece of content that could be created that is really unique to a company's strategy, then we'll undertake that. So um, let me just give you an example at, at my last company. So uh, a lot of what they were doing was uh, helping websites make their experiences better for consumers. So we would go onto a particular, um, we, we had two things that we were doing on a real account-based one-off kind of strategy. The first one was that we were going onto their website and um, creating kind of custom mock-ups of what their website could look like if they were using Bloomreach's technology. And then we would kind of roll all of that up into a presentation that we would um, use as a hook to drive people to our trade show booths or interact with us in person. So we, we would actually print off the presentation and uh, bring it with us to, to a trade show. Uh, and that was entirely driven by a single one account and how we could help that one account do, do their jobs better. Uh, and we wanted to, from there, have an even bigger impact. And uh, what, what our other strategy was to do was to work with a company called User Testing, and user testing's whole uh, philosophy is about uh, creating the moments of uh, allowing uh, consumers to help you determine what things have worked and what things haven't on a particular website. So we were having user testing get real live people uh, to a particular retailer's website. And we were saying to them, hey, find this uh, striped shirt. And we would just show them a picture of it. And then we would videotape their experience interacting with the website. So uh, we had some uh, particularly uh, raucous, uh, perhaps, uh, um, interactions with some consumers not being able to find the things that they were looking for. And then we would roll that video out to the executive teams at these giant, uh, these <laughs> giant mall retailers, pe- people like, uh, JCPenney's, Macy's, et cetera. And, um, it was a bit of a, I don't know, dog shaming, um, <laughs> that, uh, uh, your baby is ugly sort of thing of uh, people not being able to find the things that they're looking for on these really big retailers websites and uh, totally one off content, but it helped us unlock doors that were uh, closed for us for a very long time. 
That's great. It's a great, uh, great example. And, you know, I, I feel like we're talking a lot about figuring out what's meaningful to our customer in that moment, to the account in the moment. And it's, it's a great time to also talk about uh, definitive. If, if everyone's enjoying this podcast, it's actually produced by the team at Convince and Convert, and they will also send you definitive, which is a daily email with the best resources around a topic of the day. It's topical, it's timely, it's super useful. And I encourage everyone to go check out definitivedigest.com and subscribe for free right now. It'll definitely give you some of those ideas to feed some of this account-based marketing or account-based selling. And back to that, that point, Adam, I'm wondering, you know, you're talking a lot about how you as the marketing team are using a lot of these uh, elements that you're creating and trying to repurpose them for a specific account. How are you working closely with the sales team to make sure that they can find those resources and to arm them with those resources themselves so that, as you said, this revenue team that you described earlier is, is working kind of in sync every day without having to meet all day long? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a big deal to Lean Dana. We are, are very focused on how our two teams can merge and be, uh, really work as a single entity and, uh, be seamless, uh, between the two organizations, which is, which is often hard because, uh, marketing has different priorities than sales. We're, we're typically longer oriented, um, than, than the sales team is who maybe a little bit shorter of, uh, of a horizon on their, their things. And so what we did, uh, first and foremost was, create a single repository for all of the content that was available to the sales team. And uh, so, so uh, there was just sort of run down how, how that kind of content library is structured. Uh, each piece of material is in there. Uh, we very briefly state who the relevant audience is for a particular piece of content. Uh, we provide them with all of the kind of tracked links that they need in order to be able to share that with their audience. And, and there's a small description that sort of says what each piece of content is most relevant for within a particular buyer's journey. Um, and so from there, we uh, we sit with the sales team and, and we actually talk with them all the time. So while, while uh, we aren't in meetings all day long, they know what is the next piece of content that is coming out. They have visibility into what are the things that we are uh what are we uh, working on together in order to make sure that we're meeting their needs? And uh, the attitude that the marketing team really takes is uh, this, we, we're in a complete partnership with sales and they're our customers. And we have to make sure that they are a happy recipient of this content. Otherwise, we're wasting time producing things that nobody's actually going to see. Oh, I love that approach, too. We're a big fan of the content repository here at Oracle Marketing Cloud. We're working on that as well. And it's it's actually a Herculean effort. <laughs> it's something that sounds very easy in theory, but once you start to do that and think about how people consume things, it's no small feat. And, you know, this time has flown by today, Adam. We only have time for one more question, and we like to ask the same thing every single time, and it is, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> uh, when I was younger, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I really enjoy animals and uh, I really wanted to help um, people and et cetera. So helping people with their animals, uh, et cetera. So that, that's what I wanted to be as a kid. 
Nice. And now that's the best content. I mean, it's the highest performing, right? Puppies and kittens. So you can still tie the two together, maybe. <laughs> Excellent. I'm a big fan of goats, especially the fainting. Bride. Ah, okay. Nice. Uh, there are some famous goats too. There's one singing like a Taylor Swift song, I believe on YouTube. <laughs> so you can tie that together. We're always trying to make those connections for folks. Well, thanks so much for joining the Content Pros podcast. On behalf of Randy Frisch from Uberflip, I am Chris Moody. We've been joined by Adam New Watterson with Wean Data. Thanks again, and we will talk to you all next week. You can find Content Pros at contentprospodcast.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you like to consume podcasts. You can find us there, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip, and is produced by Convince & Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.